Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. My day job is as a coach, helping people live better lives. I coach executives and leaders. I coach entrepreneurs and I coach civilians who are looking to improve their lives, their health, their relationships. Basically, it allows me to do what I didn't think was possible, which is to help people completely erase bad habits and different ways of being, erase negative feelings and replace them with positive ones rather than just help people develop new strategies to compete with the old ones or new thought patterns to debate the old thought patterns. And I'm looking for people to work with. And I have reduced my rates a lot so that I can just get as much practice in as I can. So I am going to raise them back up to my normal fees. But right now I just need a lot, a lot of practice and feedback and I have teachers and mentors. So if you're interested in getting my best coaching better than I've ever done at a big discount, email me hj at plantyourself.com. So let's get on with the show. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I become obsessed with the process of memory reconsolidation as a coaching tool as a way of helping people change, transform long-standing patterns of behavior uh, to erase bad habits in an instant, rather than just teaching people how to create circumstances and mindsets and systems and uh, abilities that allow them to choose their better habits over their other ones, where it's a constant competition and you're just trying to give one side the advantage. Memory reconsolidation, on the other hand, wants to blow the whistle on the whole game, send the opposing team packing and simply declare victory for habits that are in alignment. So I have been learning a tremendous amount about various modalities for doing this, including internal family systems, um, EMDR, the eye movement therapy, Uh, AEDP, and coherence therapy with Drs. Tori Olds and Dr. Bruce Ecker, who is one of the originators of the model. And I was on YouTube a couple of months ago looking for other modalities that specifically target the memory reconsolidation systems of the brain, and I found something called rapid resolution therapy. And this is... um, so different from the other ones. I was fascinated, honestly, um, more than a little skeptical because it seemed to promise incredible results. And also because the founder, John Connolly, is so contrarian in so much of what he says about what works and what doesn't work in terms of healing and therapy and education and medicine and he's got kind of a, uh, a topsy-turvy view of the whole of society, which I honestly find pretty fun and compelling. So after reading uh, his book, Life-Changing Conversations, and listening to him about, on about a dozen other podcasts, I felt it was time to talk to Dr. Connolly myself. And as you'll hear in the conversation... I'm pretty committed to taking his training, which begins in January of 2024. So at that point, I'll have a lot more to tell you. But in the meantime, see what you think of Dr. Connolly and his philosophies and how he describes his methods. So without further ado, Dr. John Connolly, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. 
Oh, it's so exciting to be with you, Howie. I've been looking forward to um, making some uh, dust fly here. <laughs> Excellent. I'm I'm excited too because I think you you may have some answers for me that I have been looking for as a coach. Um, you're you you know so iconoclastic and so contrarian to most of what I have learned about how to help people change. Um, you know, most of it I have embraced like eagerly, like a you know a, a dry sponge. Some of it I have a problem with, and maybe we can we can talk about those those areas where I, I don't quite get it. Um, but why don't we start with you just uh, you know the the introduction that that you think you know? I'm sure my, many people in my audience do not know who you are, um, don't know about rapid resolution therapy. So maybe it's just a well, what you think would be useful. That's terrible news. Let me see if I can take a few breaths and overcome that horrible. Like, <laughs> uh, let's change. By many, right I now. mean maybe three or four out of, out oh, of all the, right. the, now I'm okay. the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, so rapid resolution therapy is a, I, I guess it's a process, a series of processes and a perspective um, a way of thinking that's designed to um, improve, to maximize the quality of people's lives. So people see us because they want to do something they're doing well better. Um, somebody who's a great athlete might come in to be a better athlete or a better business guy or or um, a better musician or or actor or what have you. And then, of course, we're seeing people who have been uh, suffering with stuff and talk about experiencing uh, great emotional turmoil and disturbance or stuckness, meaning they would like to be able to implement a different way of thinking, feeling, acting, reacting, or interacting, and yet don't seem to have done it. And so those are the people that make their way to me, as well as people looking for a, a satisfying career opportunity because we're doing a lot of training folks on how to be able to utilize this. Um, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember the word you said, contrary, contrarian, this, this uh, oppositional, <laughs> misbehaving, rebellious method of causing um, uh, people's minds to shift. Yeah. So, um, I want to get I want to get into the methodology, but I, I want to come at it with something that struck me. So I, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've listened to about a dozen of your podcast interviews. Um, but then I went I went back to the first book you wrote. Uh, so it was life life changing conversations. Life changing conversations. Yes, Howie. Thanks. And I was struck by the um, the quote at the beginning by William Blake. About you know the doors of perception, and if we if we could see things as if we cleanse our do the doors of perception, we could see and man could see things as they really were, we would we would see the infinite. Essentially, I'm, I'm butchering the quote. I'm really curious how like how, how that was the flag that you first planted uh, wow. in, a, in, a, in a publication. It's a while back, um, and uh, but I, I, William Blake has been inspirational to me. I've, I've put his 
artwork on things that I've been uh, passing out to others for years and years and years. Um, I just think some of the things he said were wonderful. But as he speaks about things being cleansed and seeing what's actually there, I, I would suggest that um, many of the people I uh, end up meeting with, relating to, are looking to have lives that are more meaningful. And um, uh, I would raise the flag of meaninglessness. I try to be having a life that's as meaningless as possible, and I do what I can to get other people's lives to be meaningless too. Um, I think if there's meaninglessness, we can see what's actually there. You know, somebody <laughs> sees somebody do something and says, how you look at that? Oh, man, what that guy did, what a coward. And you might be seeing the same thing and saying, really? I, I, I thought he was courageous. And somebody is seeing something else and somebody's seeing something else. And everybody's seeing through a lens of meaning and, and thinking that they're seeing what's there. But, if, I mean, if you pick up the cover of any newspaper, you can see how dysfunctional humanity is. And, and people are all over the globe eagerly killing each other because they have disagreements about what's going on, what's true, what's real. And I think it's because they're looking through a lens of meaning rather than looking through just reality and science and cause and effect, and this is what exists. So, um, yeah, I'm going to champion meaninglessness. That's one thing that's, I think, different from what the, the other kids are talking about. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I had a, a huge revelation about a year ago when I, I saw the title of a book called The Extraordinary Magic of Being Ordinary, which immediately felt like it gave me permission to not have to try to be, you know, special. And I feel like this is this is another level down of like, like, it feels like there's some form of permission that I've never given myself to have a meaningless life. Like, also, what am I going to do? How am I going to be remembered? Am I am I, you know, wasting my gifts? What what is my potential? And I'm hearing you say something that just kind of landed in a way that I'd, li I'd like to kind of explore and expand. Like Howie, I'm, I'm, I, you have a, I, I mean, how long have we known each other? But I can tell you already, you have a passionate life and a purposeful life. And I, I would like to have a passionate and purposeful life too. I certainly believe I have a purpose and I have a mission um, and and that I experience it with great passion, and um, and and live to 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 promote it. But um, I I'd prefer seeing things as they are rather than seeing through meanings that um, that most people look through uh, uh, cowardly, uh, uh, courageous. Uh, uh, good, bad, deserving, undeserving um, uh, uh, things. And I think if we could uh, look and see what's going on, we'd, we'd perhaps have a cleaner, clearer journey through um, um, where, where we're going. But I don't even think I'm near what you're looking to, to ask me. I think I scooted into the weeds. Uh, <laughs> help me get on the road again. <laughs> Well, um, I, I want to kind of 
like explore the ways in like you you've laid out in your podcast and in the first chapter of of the book Life Changing Conversations like the difference between what you do and most forms of conventional therapy. And you know, one yes. of the, like you talk about the two two main things is either we're just gonna we're just gonna think differently, and I'm and and, and you're gonna take responsibility as my client for for having new thought patterns, rejecting old thought patterns, just you know, or we're gonna experience the worst moments of your life together so that you can heal from them. Um, and ne- neither one is is any part of of, of what you do. Yeah, it's not. Uh, let me tell you, if I could, uh, uh, some of it will repeat for you, but a few of the basic differences between sure. the RRT perspective and um, and um, more normal therapeutic approaches. One major difference, Howie, is the RRT facilitator takes full responsibility for causing the transformation. So if I work with you, I'm going to say to you, this is what I'm intending. This is what I'm expecting. This is what I will take full responsibility for delivering. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's very different. I think if you listen to, as I do, I've listened to uh, hundreds and thousands of people who are in the, the mental health field talk about their experiences um, you don't hear people say things like, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't do a good job serving that particular client because I didn't, I didn't have the skill. I wasn't useful to her because I didn't have the skill. I intend to be more skilled, but I wasn't skilled enough to assist her. We hear things like, oh, she was resistant. She wasn't ready for change. She came in lacking motivation. Um, same crap we hear from people in the educational system, by the way. Um, who who screw up and blame the students they weren't able to educate, just like people in the mental health field blame the clients that they weren't skilled enough to assist. We don't. Okay. We don't yeah. blame. Can, uh, can, can, can I ask about that? Before, yeah. before, uh, um, please, please. So I, part of me loved that as, as a differentiator and as an approach, and part of me, like as, as I've trained coaches, and one of the things I tell coaches is like the minute you take responsibility for the client, you are you are you're in essence um, enacting your agenda, right? So how how do we help help me understand how, how do we thre- either thread the needle or or something I'm not understanding about yeah, if I'm, I'm taking responsibility I'm for you? I'm good with the people I train enacting their agenda. And taking responsibility for it, I—I I mean, I think if if I'm meeting with Joe and Joe is meeting with me because he's uh, experiencing confusion, turmoil, and distortion, and I have his best interest in in mind and passionately want to deliver what's best for him in the world, um, I probably have a clearer view of. Um, how to make his life work than he does. And um, so I'll certainly see myself as perhaps a significantly better resource than his mind in getting forward 
um, what what's going to uh, work best for him. That doesn't mean that I'll spend a little time with you and say, well, you know what? I think you should stay married another eight months, and then after that, go with the gal across the street. I'm not making those kinds of decisions for people, but I think we can look at where somebody has been stuck in turmoil dealing with um, uh, uh, all of that emotional pain and from outside with clarity um, see what has not been seen, take responsibility for that and, and, and take responsibility for causing a shift that that person is going to feel delighted with. Um, mm. So... Um, I think I think that's a um, a difference um, between the way most people are are viewing that and um, and and we are. I I think I do a good job with people, but I'm not batting a thousand. And if I meet with somebody and I haven't been useful in assisting them, and they haven't um, experienced a major dramatic lasting breakthrough it's because i didn't do a good enough job i didn't do the kind of job i'd like to do and i'm gonna let that person know that apologize let them know i don't have the key for every lock and and i'm sure we can together find somebody who will who will do a better job um so yes i think it's really a cool thing to take um responsibility for for causing that, because the the rest of the profession does does pretty much the opposite of that. For instance, substance abuse. There was a fellow that um, I was a consultant at a treatment center. They brought me this just lovely young man, and and I wanted so much for him to be um, better. I cared about him. Um, a beautiful person, and um, whatever it took to pry this guy free of this obsessive um, feeling that he needs to, to to saturate his brain with alcohol, whatever it was, I didn't have it, and um, and and so I heard that he uh, that he was dead, and he's dead because he drank an entire huge freaking bottle of, of uh, some kind of mouthwash. I, I, the name of it is Listerine, I think. A, a, mm. a huge bottle of Listerine. What happened there? I'd like it to be what happened there is I didn't have the skill to reach that guy and I'm going to put energy into being more skilled. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be, well, yeah, that guy's dead because he he, he wasn't motivated enough. Mm-hmm. I think if they if if you, if I meet with somebody at a treatment center for substance abuse and they aren't motivated enough, then it it, it should be my job to motivate him. If he's not interested to interest him. Oh, um, same thing in, in in the schools. I mean, I'm sorry your kid didn't learn history because uh, he didn't come in motivated. So motivate him. I mean. <laughs> Why is, why is this confusing to people? Teachers ought to motivate people, and people in the people change business ought to change people or say they're sorry they didn't, hmm. I think. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's a difference. There, there are um, 
There are tons of differences. I'm thinking that what's causing emotional turmoil is I think our minds cause our minds are interested in our survival. They read um, uh, info, they read data, and they cause a response. Some of the responses are internal, digestion, respiration, circulation, some external, taking a walk, uh, making a sandwich, whatever. And I think our minds look to cause our survival and cause things to happen by causing emotion, sensation, thought, impulse, uh, habit, or what people call feeling. Um, and I think that our minds are um, highly advanced and highly dysfunctional uh, <laughs> and out of the box. They don't work well. Um, so what I like to do is take this thing that, that came dysfunctional and wire it up so that it actually works in the environment we need to work it in because our mm. minds are not working very well in this environment, I don't think. Yeah. So what, one of the moments in the book that really took me off balance, and you, you, you invited us to read the, um, it's, a, it's a series of 21 uh, transcripts of therapy sessions, and you invited us to read it one line at a time interactively and think what we, you know, what we, we would say here. So I was doing that. I was following the instructions. Wow. And, and in the first, the first interview, uh, first session with Kristen, you say, do you think, you know, she's got all these terrible thoughts coming to her that are making her so miserable. And you say, do you think your mind wants, is trying to make you feel bad? And she says, no. And I say, no. Okay. And then she says, and then you say, do you think your mind is trying to make you feel good? And I say, yes. <laughs> and then you say, no, your mind doesn't give a rat's ass how you feel. That's not its job. And, and then you, you know, then you, you follow with this beautiful story of rabbit, rabbit and wolf that for the first time just really clarified the complexity of mind in a way that's all of a sudden like, oh, now, now I can see how there are tools that we could, that we could work with. Can you kind of expand on, on that? I tell this story. If I could hit you with it, if you've already heard it, I'm sorry, but here's the story. They, um, walk in to you and uh, uh, bringing this great big elephant. And they say, Howie, um, your job is going to be control the elephant. You say, how am I supposed to control a big elephant like that? Guy gives you a little tiny remote control. It's about an inch. It has two buttons. He says, now the top one is going to make her feel good. We talked about happiness. The bottom one, make her feel kind of restless. Push the top one if you want her to do more of what she's doing. Push the bottom one if you want her to do something other than what she's doing. Make her a little restless. She's going to change what she's doing. So you're watching baby, you're watching mother elephant and baby elephant is in front of her, exuberant and moving quicker than she is. And you're concerned this baby is getting out of sight here. And so you push the second button. She gets kind of restless, begins moving quicker. As soon as she moves quicker, you're jamming on the top button, meaning, yeah, yeah, keep it up, keep it up. The distance is narrowing between mother and baby. You controlled the elephant. And then they say to you, oh, we gave you uh, uh, the one with only two buttons. We have one with three buttons if you want to control her. And what do I do with the third button? Oh, it makes her miserable. 
So if you want to make her miserable, push button three. And you say, you know what? I got enough buttons. The hell do I need a button three to make her miserable? What's that going to get her to do? I got the one, the one to get her to keep doing something, one to get her to do something else. I'm good. So I don't think our minds are, are, are trying to find a third button to make us miserable. I think what our minds are doing are trying to get us to do things um, by pushing button two. But when we don't do them, it keeps pushing that button. And that's where the misery comes. If, if, if you're trying to get my attention and I don't answer you, so you tap me on the shoulder and I still don't respond and you care about me, so you keep tapping me and I still haven't responded, so you keep tapping me. And now it's 80 hours later and you've been tapping the same spot and the hole is there in my shoulder and blood is pouring out. And a month later, the bones are turning to sawdust. You're not trying to make me miserable. You're still trying to just tap me on the shoulder and get my attention. That's a dysfunction. If you're trying to just get my attention and you're causing an injury, it's a dysfunction. It doesn't mean you're evil, bad person. Mm -hmm. So I think our minds have become much more advanced than any other life form. You know, penguins can't build London and, and zebras can't build airplanes. Our minds are much more advanced. But I think as our minds became much more advanced, um, they couldn't stop doing what they were doing previously. So it's not like the guy could say, you know, I'm not going to bother with circulation today because I'll be learning algebra. So he had to keep doing this one while he started doing that one. And and so it, it becomes that, that like there are two facets of mind. I think the more advanced facet is what people identify with and call I. And the rest is what people call self. And so you hear all these people say things like, um, I know I need to calm myself down if I'm ever going to get myself motivated because I really want to get myself started. I hope I can keep myself going. Um, but the problem is I know I need to discipline myself and, and I need to be able to get some control over myself and my therapist tells me I, I'm going to have to be able to love myself, but actually I don't like myself. Uh, and the more he tells me that I need to love myself, the more I'm realizing I actually hate myself. And we got this whole <laughs> barrage of, of confusion, but there are no facets of your mind, I'm pretty sure, Howie, that are against you, the rest of you. Your ears aren't trying to kill your nose. Um, there's just dysfunction because the thing was hasn't been integrated. It hasn't been tuned up. It's not set for the environment it's in. But I think we can tune things up so that we eliminate things like um, uh, rage, resentment, uh, jealousy, uh, inhibition, um, regret, and... Um, and panic. I think we can just mm -hmm. turn the dials and get it working better for people. But I don't think people can do it for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, one of the things that, again, that really struck me about your work from, uh, I watched a couple of, of YouTube videos, one you working with the woman who had been sexually abused when she was in the military, like 42 years earlier. Um, there was another one. One of the things that really struck me about your methodology is that you do most of the talking. And as a coach, 
I am, I am told if I, if I'm training someone and I see a transcript and they're speaking more than 25% of the time, I, I worry about them. And so you're doing, you have a tool that I don't have and that I haven't taught people. And I'm really curious, like what that is, what are you doing with your words? It looks like stories, jokes, uh, analogies. Oh, what um, a beautiful question, right? And that's a beautiful question. I don't remember it being asked that specifically. So the, I think that if somebody's experiencing emotional pain or turmoil, it has to do with the way that their mind outside of conscious awareness is processing information. So that's, that's the, that's the construct. If she's saying, um, you know, I'm having this miserable feeling that I didn't, what, whatever, I feel guilty about this and that or whatever. Um, I think the problem is the way her mind is processing information isn't working for her benefit. Now, that's going on unconsciously. I'm conscious of, of the effect that my mind is having on my emotions or thoughts but I am not conscious of where it's caused to happen. So, so I'm not, I'm conscious of what just came to mind, but I'm not conscious of what just brought it to mind. Mm. Um, so I might say to you, you know, I have a thought I'd like to share with you. And if you say, yeah, well, where did the thought come from? Where was it before you just thought it? Say, Howie. <laughs> you try to do, do what do you mean? Where was it before I thought it? Uh, are you getting real space cadet stuff? But, but I, I, I think things are being caused in terms of emotion, sensation, and thought from where we're not conscious. And so, if somebody isn't consciously causing his jealousy, how is he supposed to unconsciously? cause no jealousy. If he's not consciously causing grief, how can he consciously cause not no grief? Um, what well, has, it has to be a, um, a counter, right? You're trying to overcome it with some other thought pattern. Well, but I, but when people's lives are working fine, they're not trying to overcome one thought with another thought <laughs> just happened. And so the reason that I'm doing most of the talking is, well, one, this guy already knows what he's thinking. Um, and, and I'm not having a problem not knowing what he thinks. Um, God, one guy came in, he's a very bright guy, nice guy, and he was just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. It was the kind of thing, every time I started to say something, uh, he, he would say, well, just... Uh, wait, just uh, he like cut me off, and then he talked for another five minutes. Uh, uh, I have a lot to say, you know. So, so finally, I said to him, "Sir, just one quick question. Just let me interrupt one quick question." He says, "Yeah, yeah. What?" I said, "Do you know what you're talking about?" And he says, "Of course, I know what I'm talking about." I said, "So, do you know what you're saying?" He says, "Of course, I know what I'm saying." I said, well, if you know what you're saying already, why are you bothering to say it? I'm not particularly interested in it. Uh, <laughs> you already know it. 
from what I understand, your life is sort of like a mess. Uh, that's why you're here to see me. So wouldn't it make sense for you to just freaking shut up and listen to what I have to say? Why would I need to listen to what you have to say? <laughs> and he said, I've been seeing therapists for the last 30 years and nobody ever said, just shut up and listen to me. And I said, you okay with it? He said, okay, this is gold, man. This is, I, I've been trying to find somebody who has the answer and they just say, when do you think it is? If I know what it is, why would I pay you, dude? Um, so, um, so, yeah, we do most of the talking and the talking is to change the way his mind is automatically working. I'm not just telling stories. I'm, I'm causing it to shift the way his mind is processing unconsciously. So the way it's processing unconsciously is when he talks about this or thinks about that, he feels bad. So then it's my job to cause it to be that that no longer makes him feel bad. And so I think that's my job. I don't know how the heck he could possibly do it. And I shift what's going on inside his mind, but not where he can see it happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you've, um, you talked about having learned hypnosis and, and kind of it's, you know, in the story of you learning hypnosis and beginning to apply it, it seemed to have been very hit or miss. Um, but you know, so I'm, I'm real interested in like what, you know, what like people have compared you to Milton Erickson, who's, you know, sort of a early, you know, 20, mid 20th century therapist who used hypnotic patterns and language. Like what's, what's the core of the, of the hypnosis that you do? And cause, well, cause we, it's a tool, it's a tool that I don't have. I don't, I don't understand. I, I can, I can read 40 transcripts and I still can't quite see what the magic. Can you kind of sure. expl um, explain it? Well, we don't ever say hypnosis other than if I'm talking to you and you say, would you tell me some things about hypnosis? Sure. Or if you, you were seeing me professionally, sure, I'll tell you anything you want to know. But it's not a concept I, I use much because I think of words as powerful ways of having an effect. If I use the word hypnosis, the effect it will have on the majority of people is they'll think about being asleep, unconscious, out of it, under it, losing control, getting controlled, going into something that's scary, uh, something that might make them look like they're a jerk, being controlled by somebody with a more powerful mind, um, hmm. coming from the Greek word sleep, um, that has something to do with being uh, suggestible, which sounds a whole lot like gullible. Um, and, and so the problem with the word hypnosis is if I use that word, I got all that stuff that just is a landslide on top of me um, that I got to dig my way out of. Um, what I would say with RRT is we are using what I would call multi-level communication designed to affect and transform all facets of your mind. For instance, uh, Joe says, uh, 
hey, I'm, um, I think I'm a pretty smart guy and I've developed a theory of things that I think is new and interesting. I want to share it with people. But the idea of being seen, showing up, doing anything with public speaking, be on a podcast, being interviewed is absolutely terrifying to me. And um, I finally uh, got pushed into doing it once and I did a terrible job and I was embarrassed. And now I can't even think of it without feeling terrible. Um, so I'm looking to communicate not only with here, uh, but I, I mean, the, the, where he has an intellect, not only with the intellect, but but where that fear is coming from. And so with multi-level communication, I can say, let's say it was you, I say, hey, Howie, it's not actually dangerous to be in front of a group of people. It's unlikely one of them is going to shoot you or anything like that. So you'll be all right, go do it. And you say, yeah, dude, I know that. I didn't think anybody's going to shoot me. But 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 I get so freaked. I can't talk. I feel like I'm losing control of myself. It's it's like terrible. But you don't understand. It's not dangerous. Yeah, I understand that. But would you explain it to my stomach, my chest, my throat, my hands that are shaking, my vocal cords that don't work? And the answer is yes, I will. So I'm going to say some things, and the things I'm saying are designed. Here, not so much to hit your intellect, because intellectually, I'm preaching to the choir. You already said, I want to be calm doing it. I know it isn't dangerous, but another part of me seems to think it is and gets me all rattled. So I'd want to speak to that part. I want to be able to transform that. That's multi-level communication. Um, but while that's happening with RT, that individual is awake, aware, completely um, in, in well, completely in control. You've probably never been in control, but he's in, at least in as much control as he usually is. Um, and the words are being said, and at the end of the words, uh, he will feel differently. Um, I do that a lot. On I, I do something called solutions. Howie, it's every uh, it's every month six times, and it's free. It's a free offering for anybody who wants to show up and address any kind of issue. And you'll see that happening there. You'll see this gal say, "I'm very afraid when I do this," and then ten minutes later, I'll say, "Well, think of doing that. Is it scary at all?" Oh no, not a bit. So that means we've flipped something in the unconscious rather than just try to consciously do it. That's hypnotic communication. But it, but I would rather not say hypnosis because it's, it's like, it, it's like a state of that it causes people that are suggestible to be more suggestible. What I'm doing has nothing to do with suggestibility. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, so one, one of the things that I'm attracted to about, uh, your work without having experienced it personally yet um, is that we don't need the kind of specificity that a lot of experiential therapies require in terms of, okay, I need to understand your exact schema, the, predict the exact prediction you're making about what will happen if 
so that we can disconfirm it. You're doing you're doing a very generalized type of disconfirmation. I think in one of the interviews you, you, you said there's basically two sort of faults of the mind. One is to think that the past is still happening, and the other is that some event had a meaning that it didn't have. Coming back to the the meaninglessness that Absolutely. we began the conversation exactly. with. Exactly, that's my view of it. Exactly. So that if it doesn't matter what what I'm bringing into the present, all we have to do is is snip, is get the mind to understand that the past doesn't exist. Well. Yeah, but I particularly like her mind understanding that about uh, her grandfather raping her, mm-hmm. rather than wh- what fun she had at her 18th birthday party. Um, and and we do actually work with um, great specificity. However, we know how to get the mind to take the specifics and generalize them, so that we. We don't have to get to everything specifically, but just a few that will be generalized and then applied to um, to all the rest. But you nailed it. Um, so um, if she thinks about the rape um, and um, you say, hey, so I hear you got raped. Tell me about it. And she goes, oh, man, I'm not talking about that. Oh, I mean, it's interesting. What do you mean? Well, I'm not talking about it. Why not? Because I don't like to. Why not? Because I don't like how I feel when I talk about it. How do you feel? Scared and ashamed. Well, what's my... You're scared of me? I didn't say I was scared of you. Okay, well, well, so talk about it. Well, then I'll feel scared. But I'm still going to be here. It's just me and you. What's going on? So mind is reading the data about this thing as if it's about to happen, happening, or just happened, even when she says, when she certainly knows that isn't the case. So that's misreading something as taking place that we actually know isn't. With that, her mind is going to attempt to cause her to do something to make this thing stop. It's it's not that she was raped that's actually causing the pain. It's her mind is trying to get her to do something to get that to not have happened previously. Can't happen. And it's the effort to shift. It's the ongoing effort that's causing the emotional pain. It's, it's, so, it's not that it's that complicated. It's, it's kind of complicated, but it also... As, as you so clearly said, everything I'm saying contradicts about 180, everything else that people are thinking, and it makes it uh, hard teaching this, not because it's that hard, but because it's so opposite of the mm. way people have been thinking of things. Um we don't think that the things that other people think are necessary are necessary. For instance, we don't think it's necessary for people to learn to love themselves. Um, in fact, we kind of think it's sort of a ridiculous pursuit. Um, 
um, I think of Eagle, she's hungry. She sees this rabbit and it looks pretty damn delicious. And she says, I'm going to go get myself that rabbit. First, I better do a little bit of loving on myself. And after all the loving, where the hell's a rabbit? Um, I, I just, I don't think it's a necessary step. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think the eagle has to like see the rabbit and then convince herself that she's deserving. I don't think she has to like talk herself right. out well, of eagle imposter yeah. syndrome. So, so I've heard you say that on a few podcasts, and I had a little question about that, Please. which is if you're if if you are um, well functioning, then you don't have to do that. But eagle, you know, eagle doesn't have pathology, presumably. So, if someone is in a pathological state where they have learned that loving themselves is unsafe, or in fact that denigrating themselves is the safest thing they could do to prevent somebody else from piling on who's more powerful, then would then might not it be necessary to overcome that with self-love? Well, I'm certainly not loving myself today. And I think I'm doing all right having a good conversation with you. And were there times that um, I thought that, that the best thing I better do if I saw somebody walking on the sidewalk was cross the street? Absolutely. So, I mean... I, I laugh and say I try to make sure I have every freaking screw-up that I could possibly be treated. I've visited personally, but I, I have visited a lot of them. Um, and I didn't find that loving myself was the solution to any of it. And I don't mm-hmm. find that people who are doing well and succeeding are doing any of it. Um, I can tell you, I'm certainly not loving myself as I'm focusing with you, Howie. I'm fully focused outward on you and on the message I have. So two things are I'm aware of, and that's as much as I can handle. You, your response, if you seem to be encouraging, or if I seem to have said something confusing or offensive, I'm watching and listening for that, mm-hmm. and I'm paying attention to my message, and I'm not paying attention to caring about myself or, or experiencing some loving compassion at the moment or thinking uh-huh. that I have, uh, you know, pretty eyes. Um, <laughs> I, I, okay, so, let, so let, me come, let me come back to something. When you, when you were talking about the guy who you kept having to interrupt and you said, you know, shut up. <laughs> like, why are you talking? I was I, like, the question I want to ask then is like, can you teach me to be okay doing that? Because yes. right now I wouldn't feel okay doing it. So that if, if I were in that position, I, you know, I would have thoughts about approval, about am I doing something wrong? Am I going to, you know, am I going to offend this person? Are they going to fire me and talk like catastrophizing? Yeah, we yes, we can. We can fix it. Absolutely. Howie. So, if this guy is walking past you on his way to um, go jump off the ledge and you say to him, um, um, <coughs> hey, talk to me. And he says, leave me alone. I don't want to be interfered with. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want you bothering me. What you're going to do is just keep bothering him anyway, because you have a clear passion for his well-being. 
Mm. And if you see him going on a road that isn't going to be promoting that, you're going to do what you can to stop that. I mean, you're going to, let's say he's not going to kill himself. He's just going to take a really bad road to get somewhere. I probably yeah. end up getting killed accidentally. And he says, I'm doing it. You're likely to say, the hell you are doing it. I'm not letting you doing it. Listen to this. That's what's going to happen there, dude. We don't want that happening to you. Here's a, here's a safe path. Um, so if you start hearing that the gunk people are sharing with you, is, is, is bad for him to even be hearing himself as he's talking to you. And, it's, and he thinks that this uh, merry-go-round of thoughts is the way to feel better, but it doesn't work. He's been doing it 15 years. He hasn't felt better yet. Um, <laughs> and you say, you know what? If I can tell him to shut up, I can tell him something that's going to change his freaking life. Uh, then I bet you can uh-huh. You, you just got to say, I think I know more about what this guy should be talking about than he does, what he should be thinking about than he does. But we bought into this whole, um, we're the uh, audience applauding people fixing themselves. We're, we're, we're to encourage and support, but say, you know, you have to figure it out. You have to understand why you feel bad. Well, I don't know why I feel so bad. Well, did, did your mother ever make you angry? I mean, we, we do all these things encouraging introspection, people figuring themselves out. And yet, I can tell you that the people who are introspecting and figuring themselves out are generally miserable. And I haven't been trying to figure myself out once since I met you, but I've been doing a whole lot of laughing and having a lot of fun and hopefully more constructive. I'm sitting here saying, I guess the reason I feel bad about this is because my father wasn't there for me here. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's such, it's such a different way of of looking, but you know, certainly like my, my flow moments are all out externally focused all out you, yeah. you ski i don't do, 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 do you climb um, you look so incredibly fit i mean you do some damn thing what do you um, do i wear slimming black uh, okay while you're doing that how much are you figuring yourself yeah. out yeah no the moment you know you know there's there's like a like a moment in my life where like I was walking, it's a, it's like a weird little moment, but it's become emblematic for me of like my best self. I was walking in New York city on 72nd street and Broadway and or 96 doesn't matter. And I saw there was a fire in a garbage can and I sprinted to the pizza place, two boots, pizza, a block and a half up, told them I needed their fire extinguisher, ran back and put out the fire all without thinking. <laughs> like it was a weird little thing. Like nothing would have, you know, nothing would have happened. It was contained, but I just felt like there was no thought involved whatsoever. It just, you know, it happened. And my daughter was with me. She said, you know, I told you to go get the, like, go find a fire extinguisher. I didn't remember that. I didn't, there was no consciousness of anything other than 
me being, you know, Bruce Lee-like water flowing into, into usefulness and appropriateness. There was also at a moment of perhaps some, by the way, I love your story, but perhaps at a moment of some confusion, because it's an unusual event, walking down the yeah. street, seeing this thing on fire. There's like, wow, this is going on. And then somebody at the moment of confusion, this is a guess, this might have never happened, but maybe <laughs> at the moment of confusion, somebody directed you do this in a way of such clarity that it caused it to happen. And maybe that was your amazing daughter who checked in this situation, saw what the thing is, saw dad like, what the hell do we do here? And she said, get a fire extinguisher and put the freaking thing out dad. Yes. That all is done. So um, uh, talk about a modern day Milton Erickson. Maybe it's her. <laughs> Because these sure wound you up and put you in a perfect position and created a, a super high moment in your life and maybe yeah. stop something mm -hmm. else from catching fire or somebody from getting hurt. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it certainly feels true. Like, you know, I play ultimate Frisbee. Um, I run. I coached at the moments where I am most effective. Like, I disappear. Yes. The you you call I is no longer there, and there is no there is no self consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yes, out um, rather than self conscious, and all the people who you meet up with, and you meet up with tons of them who tell you that they could be more successful if they were less inhibited. Um, less inhibited means less self-consciousness, not more. So the solution to too much self-consciousness is not to create more self-love. I don't mm -hmm. think, but it's to create what, what your beautiful daughter created. Get the freaking fire extinguisher. <laughs> now don't stand there feeling good about yourself, dad. No time for that. <laughs> Put the fire out. Um, she, gotcha. boy, she had that yeah. one. How old was she when she did that to you? Oh, 14, 15. Yeah. It's like, I want to buy her a, a, a plaque. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So speaking, speaking of her, she, she, I, um, I told her that I was interviewing you and I kind of explained as best I could, um, the, the, the basics of the work. And she said, well, what about the body? Like, this is all talk. You know, we both, you know, we've read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, the, the trauma-informed community, which I think is a lot more going for it than sort of standard uh, talk psychotherapy, is very interested in the body. And how, so, like, and you mentioned, like, you're talking to stomachs and livers and, and diaphragms. Well, I'm talking to what's affecting them for sure. Okay. Yeah. What about the body? Well... Here's what I think about the body. Um, when zebra sees approaching a lion, mind of zebra causes zebra to be alert, focused, motivated, and super strong. Mm 
um, when um, Zebra saw another zebra trying to mount his mate, again, um, senses brought it in, mind read it, and caused him to be, again, motivated, focused, super strong. First one, strong legs. Second one, strong jaw. Um, these are wonderful things if you're a zebra, because if you're a zebra, something's bothering you, like run like run like hell or, 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 or bite it hard. Um, <laughs> the same thing that's um, hardwired as a top priority thing in zebra is hardwired as a top priority thing in uh, Howie and John. Um, but for us, I'm thinking it's worse than useless. I, um, I don't remember the last time I had to outrun a leopard and um I bet you don't do a lot of tackling people, biting their stomachs, tearing off flesh, and starting blood fountains. So we don't need strong jaws or, or, or strong um, legs when things are disturbing. We need clarity, logic, reason, the ability to see solutions, grasp opportunities, um, engage, negotiate, Recall uh, all things that anger and fear whoosh, diminish. Um, so, so anger and fear aren't working for us and turning the body into getting ready to do things that it's supposed to do for a zebra for what, maybe 30 seconds. But for humans, it's turning on and staying on for years. So there, there's a whole lot going on there. So people are frequently seeing uh, me because they're referred by a medical person because they've got a medical issue. And the reason for that is, uh, it's right with your question with, 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 with body, that the, the patient may very well say to her GI doc, hey, you know, I have Crohn's disease. Why are you sending me to somebody who works with minds? Are you saying Crohn's disease is in people's mind? Doc says, no, I've seen it. I see it in the microscope. I see it in the MRI. I see what's going on. Well, why mind? And the answer, I think, is everybody knows something bad happened to the body. It'll have a bad effect on mind. If you hit a guy in the face with a brick, he's in a bad mood. If something happens good to the body, that can have a good effect on the mind. Why don't we jog and go for a massage? That'll maybe cheer us up. Probably will. A uh, good thing with the body has a good effect on the mind. We also know if you do something bad to the mind, you can have a bad effect on the body. Just keep insulting mm -hmm. this guy uh, over and over, yelling at him, insulting him, and he has a ulcers and headache. One, two, three rungs of the table. The fourth rung is... We can do things with your mind that cause amazing things that are good for you with your body. We can do all kinds of things with the mind that heal the body. And, mm -hmm. um, and the problem is that's now thought of, but as a last line of, 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 of intervention rather than where I think it should be the first. Mm -hmm. I mean, Doc called me and said, said, John, I hope you can help this lady. We've done everything we could. I said, what did you do? He says, well, of course, we did all kinds of testing and, and you know, subjected her to all, all, all these tests. A lot of them were very uncomfortable for her and costly. But uh, after we did the testing, 
we we certainly made a number of interventions with medication, and only when that wasn't successful, um, we, we we figured we would then do surgery, and we have done a couple of surgeries, and none of that hasn't been very effective. So that's why, John, we were sending her to you. Uh, maybe you can do some kind of RRT or hypnosis or something for her because these things haven't worked. And I said, wow, that's that's really something. First, you got to run all these freaking very invasive tests and then drug her for a long time and then start slicing her up. And if none of that's effective, you might think about talking to her a little bit. I get it. We don't want to jump into this talking to too prematurely. Um, so I'm glad you made sure to slice her up first. Um, we can do amazing things with the mind to affect the body and promote healing. Um, and, and doctors all know that. When's the last time your doc said to you, oh, man, you have a sore throat. I want you to go home and get aggravated. <laughs> um, they always say go home and relax. They know the body heals much faster relaxed. They don't know how you're supposed to get relaxed. Um, but, yeah. but they definitely know that that makes sense. We can really pinpoint deep comfort and cause things to transition within the body so that people... Um, get um, better from things that were um, quite distressful for a, a long time. Mm. So w one of the things you said to the, the woman who, that I mentioned who had uh, been sexually assaulted when she was in the military is you said uh, the process of healing is not prioritized when there's anger. Right. Absolutely. And when to, there's any threat, and, anger or fear. Uh-huh. So how, how does that work? Well, I believe that fear is an emotional physiological response to perceived threat. I would give the same definition for anger. For other life forms, it works fine. Uh, how it snaps on and snaps off, it's like a turbo in a Porsche. So it, it's on when you need it. For humans, this person was angry about something that happened and continued to be angry 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later of still being uh, angry. Anger isn't designed to work like that. It's designed to create additional strength to attack for a few moments, basically to bite hard. So when that's prioritized, maintenance and repair weren't. When the individual is feeling a threat, in other words, if if a rock goes through your living room window and that's wrapped in a note that says, uh, we're going to kill you guys, how much time are you going to spend looking for a dustpan? Um, <laughs> you know, so if there's a threat, you don't care about maintenance and repair. The body doesn't bother to do healing if we're feeling threatened. Even if what we're threatened about, catch this, is being sick. So here, no, I have no time for, for, for healing my body. I'm, 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 I'm busy. What's the matter, John? What are you doing? I'm threatened. What's threatening you? Being sick. 
Mm. Yes, you're so afraid of being sick, you don't want to mess it around with doing anything to be well, right? Right. Of course, I don't want to mess around trying to be well when I'm busy trying not to be sick. Um, so that's going on. The nice thing is we can shift it and we can shift it so that it happens from inside out so that it happens automatically. People are always being told to do these things that are going to cause the change, but the things aren't very doable. Why don't you just let go of your anger toward her? <laughs> well, how the hell do I you let go of it? You're not carrying it. It's not a carton. Um, so, you know, let go of your anger, forgive her, forgive yourself, start to love yourself, and um, things should work out well. Yeah, but mm. it, it, all those things are impossible. Um, um, so th that's what I'm thinking about, that there's tremendous stuff we can do to get people's bodies in um, much um, uh, better shape. I just worked with a lovely young man, and he does carpentry all the time, and 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 his hands couldn't close more than more than like this, and that hurt uh, totally in the way of him functioning. And so we did a bunch of processes, and now his hands are opening and closing, and he's building his stuff again, and he's happy as can be. It doesn't mean every time we touch something like that, we're successful, but there's no negative side effect. So it makes mm -hmm. sense to for that to be a go-to first approach rather than last approach to health. Yeah, yeah. So in, in some of the the later dialogues, particularly in, in, the, in the book, Life-Changing Conversations, it kind of felt like you're doing like philosophical therapy, like you're presenting a worldview that, um, you know, you talk about people having a wise and clear center and talk about like, there's no need to forgive someone when you, you know, again, that woman who had been sexually assaulted 42 years earlier that like, so I found it stunning the questions you asked her about imagine being being that man who had a sexual a, a sexual need for someone who was repulsed and uh, afraid of him. And immediately she could no longer feel anything other than pity. Yeah, compassion. Right. Yes. Like that to me, like that was magic watching that moment. That you there's no if you have the right philosophy, there's nothing to Forgive. You talk about like science, right? Like everything happens for a reason. We may not know specifically what it is, but once you accept that, there's no, there's nothing to hold on to in terms of resentment or, or anger. I believe that's it. And when people uh, come to meetings with me um, um, before we even begin, it's pointed out that they hear it and read it that will the RRT process is not based on um, on psychology, um, but rather is a, um, a philosophical approach to well-being. Um, there are a lot of tools and, and, and tricks we have, but one of them is we ask you to look through a particular lens 
and see things in a particular way for a little while um, in order to be able to create this um, this shift for for people. Yeah. Um, so I know we're, we're getting to the end of, of uh, the time I've, I've asked you for. Um, one, th- one thing I just wanted to say that I, I really love um, was in the, f- the first dialogue with Kristen, you begin the session with, what should we get done? And I just wrote that down, circled it, underlined it. Can oh, you ta- talk you a little bit about that, that approach? She was very excited. She'd been going to... Uh, treatment at the uh, Mayo Clinic. She'd seen a number of psychologists and um, and, and medical people. Uh, was getting lots of psychotherapy and lots of medication because she was experiencing uh, uh, like five or more very violent seizures a day. She had to wear a um, um, a helmet to not crack her head open and walked with a three-pronged cane and basically couldn't go anywhere. Um, And when she, um, well, it was such a pleasure to work with her. And after we met, there were no longer any seizures. And she went on and did um, this wonderful um, TED Talk, um, um, which people can get to through our website at rapidresolutiontherapy.com. And um, when she uh, did the TED Talk, she quoted that thing that you just quoted and said, I walked in and he said, what would you like to get done? And she said, get done? You mean you get things done here? Um, Because nobody else ever asked me about getting anything done. They asked me about working on stuff. well, I don't want her working on it. Getting her better is my job. Um, and so it's really, what do you want me to get done for you, ma'am? Because she's the boss there. And she would like to be able to go out and play without a freaking helmet and a three-pronged cane. Um, so we got it done. And then she got up and um, and started giving... Uh, major uh, motivational uh, uh, talks um, and changing uh, other people's lives. And she's such a gifted uh, healer um, now and making such a difference for others. It's an honor that I was there um, kind of giving her a little guidance getting out of the gate that day so she could... um, jump on the stage and be a, a real influencer um, and have power. She's a powerful yeah. young it's, it's so It's so interesting that, you know, your, your approach is both like, I want to take full responsibility, and yet the client gets all the credit. It's almost like they're the race car and you're just like attaching the battery lead or something. I get the privilege of having made a difference in that person's life and knowing what to have done, but I'd like her walking away feeling like, wow, I finally got this done. I got myself in better shape. Yeah, I took Mm -hmm. part of that was taking my mind to somebody who knew what to do with it. Um, 
And um, but no, I would absolutely want the person I'm meeting with to get the full credit for any transformation that um, that takes place. But um, I I do want the um, the responsibility because that way I have some power. And if somebody's hurting in front of me, I want as much power as I can have to shift and cause these things to um, uh, change and get um, get better for folks. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what's going on with um, with that stuff. I'd sure love to have you show up at some event that um, uh, at, at some point or other, uh, Howie and, and um, you, I, I, I came to one of the solution sessions, but it was two in the morning, my time. So uh, <laughs> where, where, where are you? I, where are you? I'm in Barcelona. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, yeah. uh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, it has its compensations. Um, yeah. Um, I I do I do um, you know so I want to you know maybe we could end with you t- telling people first of all I'm sure people want to know how they can work with either you or someone that you've trained but also there's a lot of coaches who listen to this podcast um, I I'll say publicly I, you have a course coming up I think in January yes sir that that I am planning to sign up for so oh, I, hope I, I hope it's, it's, it's to okay you. to do. Yeah. Digitally, without it being in person, it can be um, my. It would be my desire to have you live, and anytime you can't be, you can um, uh, watch recordings of the um, meetings. Also, this course coming up mm-hmm. is in January. It's ten uh, weeks. It's um, like um, six. Um, uh, hours each week uh, on one day. I think it's on a Friday. I'm not sure. Um, And so it's a 60-hour training, and it does cover clinical hypnosis and rapid resolution therapy and how they um, uh, 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 fit uh, together. And um, the, the purpose is to cause a significant personal breakthrough for everybody who takes the class also to start providing skills that people can use to cause um, these kinds of breakthroughs for others. So that course is up and ready to um, ready to go. Uh, January clinical hypnosis with rapid resolution therapy and on the website rapidresolutiontherapy.com. Um, and yeah, this we do, by the way, have two uh, times a month when Solutions is uh, uh, goes out at about two my time instead of seven my time, which would make it uh, a much more acceptable time um, for you. We do that just so people in, in Europe have access to this because... Uh, People are, are are staying up all night long. We have people from the Congo and from um, uh, the Netherlands and and, and so we're just from every place. I, I have people from countries I can't pronounce uh, <laughs> with names that I sure as hell can't pronounce. And, uh, 
um, it's, it's such a privilege to be out there and making, making this stuff uh, happen. We have a, a whole bunch of free resources that are available. One is a recording on immune enhancement and mind-body healing. We'd like everybody to be able to just have that. It's our gift. Um, and one head of an emergency room physician told me he makes his whole staff listen to the thing before every shift. Um, he says they do better work and they don't get sick. Hmm. Um, okay, and that's all at rapidresolutiontherapy.com? Rapidresolutiontherapy.com under free resources. Right. And for folks who uh, have now discovered you and and want some of this, uh, some of these meetings to to better their own lives, is there are there resources for people to work with you or sure. for people you've trained? You can work with me, work with people I've trained. There are a couple of books out there you were kind enough to mention on Amazon. One is Grief is Not Sacred. And the other is the one you mentioned a few times, Life Changing Conversations. Um, and I still work with people individually, and I also work with people in, um, in group formats where the, um, uh, a whole lot can get done without it being uh, financially, um, straining, um, mm -hmm. for, for folks. We want to make sure this gets out to, uh, a, a, a lot of people, not just people with money. We started a not-for-profit institute for survivors of sexual violence where we make sure people who have been um, uh, traumatized in those ways receive treatment um, regardless of any financial ability to, to pay for it. We're just trying to get a bigger me megaphone, get the word out, and provide relief and healing and comfort breakthroughs to people who have been suffering with a process that doesn't hurt to go through. Hmm. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Th thank you so much. For thank you, Howie. It was an amazing interview. Um, you've been doing quite a lot of interviews with people. I, 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 I know you're, you're like out there all the time and, and making a huge difference in people's lives. And, and a lot of it with, with, with your knowledge and a lot of it with personal um, example, because you 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 transform transformed your own life and then use that as uh, well. This is how you do it. Kind of like a yoga teacher. She doesn't just get up there and read instructions. She says, uh, "Here, we'll do this. Stand up and get in this position." And what what could be better? than that and that's what you do all the time is do me you know uh yeah, listen, uh, some someday i'll touch my toes <laughs> well I, I i i i think way before i do but i have found if i <laughs> sit down and i grab my knee really tight and lift it up to the chair i could i could touch my toes if i'm yeah. holding a big stick yeah. <laughs> well, it's, at, at some point, I would love to have you back to talk about um, Grief is Not Sacred, which I, ha I have not read. It's not available on Kindle, so I have to get someone to bring it to me from the States in, uh, in hard copy. I'd love um, to have you have it. The books are better in hard copy because you're reading like two columns simultaneously. 
you're reading uh-huh. commentary and you're reading the dialogue that took place. So if you mm. get the actual hardcover, um, it's got um, a, um, a a significant advantage. And I, I guess there are challenges doing that internationally. But um, well, I'll, I'll have I'll, I'll order them and have someone bring them to next time they come visit. That would be that would be great. Um, and thank you for your your amazing time and attention. It was it was a wonderful conversation. You made the time like disappear. I, we've been together almost an hour and a half. It feels like ten minutes. Oh, well, th- thank you so much. Um, um, we're going to leave this conversation not knowing your favorite color, which is all right. There you go. Um, um, but I, I really I look forward to working with you, um, and I would encourage you know. Other coaches who are finding this interesting, like this, 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 this is quite a, quite a, uh, an arrow for, for, for our quiver. Thank you so much, sir. And by the way, it's not pink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we've, we pushed the, bu- the, uh, the restlessness button on pink. It's got to be some other color. There you go. Um, All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and the grace and generosity and humor that you that you have brought, and 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 a, and a willingness to tell people to shut up, a willingness to be bold in stating what people need to hear in order to heal. So I appreciate it so much, Howie. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Be well. I'll I'll, I'll see you in January in the course. Beautiful. I, I'm excited to do that. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. What do you think? Um, I'm intrigued, and I'll, as I learn more, I will continue to share what I discover. Um, let's see what's going on around here. This is my first um, po- published podcast since I had a trip to the States, played Ultimate in Sarasota, had a great time. We beat Seed. Apparently, we were seeded last or second to last, and we came in 10th um, out of 16 teams. So that was that was fun, but more importantly, it was just fun and great spirit and it was really nice to run around on grass since there's very little grass to play on where I live and it's almost all beach it felt really good to have the ground under my feet um yeah that was that was just a ton of fun been back here and I paid the bill for in terms of health I got sick for a couple of days and my back went out because um, the trip also involved a lot of uh, decision-making around storage units and selling vehicles and um, tying up some financial and administrative loose ends in the States. And so today, this is one of the only things I'm doing, is, uh, preparing this podcast, otherwise kind of just resting, walking around, letting my, my mind and my spirit catch up to my body back on Central European time. So I have several um, exciting interviews scheduled for the next few weeks. So I'm planning on getting back to a regular weekly publication schedule, which I hope makes people happy. On the beach in the mornings, I'm back to boxing and, and horrible squats and jump squats and split squats and pistol squats and um, sprints up and down the sand. So hopefully I'll be even in even better shape for the next tournament that I hope to play in, which is the uh, the one in uh, New Orleans. I think it's usually at the end of April, beginning of May. 
And I've got to say the weather's been pretty nice around here. Even when it's 50 degrees, it feels like a warmer, balmier 50 degrees, maybe because of the uh, humidity from the Mediterranean. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, staying healthy, getting healthier, staying fit, getting fitter, and letting you all know uh, what's what and how it's going. So um, thanks for listening. I almost forgot the show notes for today's episode are at plantyourself.com slash 571, where you can get links to Dr. Connolly's book and also to his website. And if there's some program that you want to sign up for uh, before I've gone through it, and we can uh, compare notes. That would be cool as well. So that's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.